Good morning, lovely Grace Vineyard. What a joy to be gathered together around God's Word, to let it feed our hearts and souls and minds and strengthen us in our walk as His disciples. In this sermon series, we are studying the text of Matthew, chapters 5, 6 and 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. We've chosen these scriptures as there are such great teachings by Jesus on how to live the Christian life in accordance with the Word of God. In chapter 5, we have studied the B attitudes, the attitudes we need to learn and practice as we grow in faith and purity of heart. I pray they've not just been messages you've listened to, but that they have become practices that you're actually doing and that you are seeing the fruit as your attitudes and behaviours change to become more like Jesus. The Beatitudes were like the starters or appetizers, and we now come to the sermon or main course introduced by the verses about salt and light. Before we begin to teach on the Sermon on the Mount, there is one assumption I must make. You cannot understand the Sermon on the Mount and the Kingdom of Heaven apart from Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to demonstrate the kind of living with regard to character and conduct that should govern the people of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Although Jesus' teachings on the Holy Spirit are largely found in John chapters 14 to 16, the Sermon on the Mount is a vital part of Jesus' doctrine on the Holy Spirit. Yet he doesn't mention it once. But that's exactly what Matthew 5 to 7 is. It's the Lord's teaching on the kingdom, the way the law has been fulfilled, how the Ten Commandments are applied by the Holy Spirit, and what true godliness is. The general theme of the Sermon on the Mount is the Kingdom of Heaven. The particular theme is the way the Mosaic Law was to be fulfilled and hence applied by believers through the Holy Spirit. Let's begin by looking at Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. As you know, a little salt can go a long way. The people of God are called salt. Why did Jesus use this metaphor to describe his followers, you and me? Our saltiness is a picture of how we exemplify the Beatitudes and all they describe and promise. Going to church or calling yourself a Christian does not make you the salt of the earth. But being poor in spirit, hungry for righteousness and being a peacemaker have corresponding consequences. There are promises, being comforted, being filled, being known as God's children. And don't forget persecution. As Paul says, 
everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 It is immediately following his reference to persecution in the Beatitudes that Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. You have the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit, when you are broken, pure in heart, hungry for righteousness, full of mercy, and persecuted for your righteousness. Perhaps our idea of salt is a condiment we add to our food to enhance its flavour. But salt is much more than that. Did you know, in ancient times, salt was used as a currency? Caesar's soldiers received payment in salt. In ancient China, salt was second to gold in value. Salt is an antiseptic, killing germs. It can be used for healing and can stop bleeding. We can bring our saltiness to bring healing to our fallen world where morals and values have fallen into decay. Salt also delays decay. Salt is a preservative, keeping things from spoiling or going rotten. As every South African will know, it is used in the making of our favorite snack, biltong or dried meat. We are commanded to go and make disciples, baptizing them into a life with Jesus and teaching them to obey him. That way we bring healing and wholeness to stop the decay of a life lived following the ways of the world. We preserve them to live a holy life, free from the pollution of the world. Did you know that even secular historians now concede that the Great Awakening or spiritual revival led by John Wesley in the 18th century is the single thing that kept the nation of England from the equivalent of the French Revolution and all its upheaval. An anointed people, even a small minority, served to preserve a nation. For a little salt goes a long way. Salt is a seasoning. Salt makes things taste better. Do you help those around you to taste and see that the Lord is good? Psalm 34, 8. The psalm goes on to say, Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. What a satisfying life a little salt can add. This has been a difficult season for all. Lockdown, political and financial upheaval, loss I could go on. Are you adding to the despair and decay with your negative attitude? Or are you being salt, making things taste better, encouraging, strengthening, blessing those around you? Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What a blessing you will be when you make things taste better, bringing life and hope to those who are struggling. Salt makes one thirsty. The world isn't interested in the gospel, but salt makes one thirsty. How are we going to create a thirst for righteousness in those around us? By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But 
what happens when the salt loses its saltiness. Strictly speaking, salt stays salt and doesn't lose its saltiness, but it can be contaminated when mixed with something. If we follow the ways of the world and are motivated by the approval of people and let ourselves be ensnared by the fear of man, we are in danger of losing our saltiness, our anointing. The anointing, as demonstrated in the Beatitudes, was pure, not contaminated with the things of the world. We sometimes use the expression, something is worth its salt. Jesus said, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, as in being contaminated by mixing it with something, how can you make it salty again? Mark 9.50 James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James 4.4 4. Our task is to maintain our anointing. We never outgrow the Beatitudes. Jesus declared that those who show the spirit and truth of the Beatitudes by the way they live their lives are the salt of the earth. When we lose our Holy Spirit's anointing, we are no longer good for anything. Come Holy Spirit should be our daily cry. Jesus now swaps metaphors. Having said that his followers are the salt of the earth, he now says, they are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 reads, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A people of light cannot help but make a difference because we are so visible. Indeed, our being light is like a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. It is there for all to see. Both statements, whether referring to salt or light, imply that there is definitely something right about Jesus' followers and wrong with the world. They show the contrast between the anointing of the Holy Spirit and a world that is in trouble. The world is in decay. Salt is a preservative. The world is in darkness. Light shows the way. Never has the world been in a darker place and more unwilling to come to the true light. What kind of light then is Jesus talking about when he says, you are the light of the world? The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6. Paul said, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter 2.9 It all begins with us being born again. 
It is a reflected light. We who with unveiled faces are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, five. Our light is a reflection of that light. We are like the moon that has no light of its own, but reflects the light of the sun. It is the Christ light in us. It is a recognisable light. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. The anointing almost certainly will be recognisable. We won't hide our light under a bowl. We will be a witness to the light. But it may be rejected. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. John 3.20 It is a responsible light. We are responsible to keep the light unveiled, to shine for all to see. Even little children know this and sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We are to be a witness. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16 Don't be like a lady I know who would never share her faith or tell people about Jesus. She said she only wanted to witness by her life. Then someone who had known her for years said, There's something different about you. I know you're a vegetarian. Light doesn't draw attention to itself. When a light is turned on, you don't focus on the light, but what it illuminates. We should show our good works in such a manner that does not cause people to focus on us. Our goal is not for people to say, oh, what a wonderful person you are, but rather to see what God has done through us. Our light is to show Jesus, the true light of the world. Just as the sun gives warmth, we are to give warmth to those we are comforting. Our light, our Holy Spirit anointing, is before men, not something we do in private. The whole world is watching us. Our good deeds reflect our righteous behavior. They are the results of a changed life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Best of all, such behaviour brings glory to our Heavenly Father. That's what should motivate us, knowing our good deeds bring glory to Him. What an honour and privilege to bring glory to God by showing our good deeds. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 We were created to be salt and light, to the glory of God our Father. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, my prayer is that today we have seen that Jesus wants us to live the Beatitudes by the power of His Holy Spirit dwelling in us, 
so that we may become salt and light to a world that is in decay and darkness, pointing those around us to life in your glorious kingdom here on earth. Would you open our hearts as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount to see that you, Jesus, are the fulfillment of the Mosaic law and have come to show us a new way to live so that the law may be fulfilled in us by your Holy Spirit. May we be one with you and the Father and walk in your ways as true followers of Christ and his teaching, bringing glory to God in the way we live our lives. Amen.